the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. I'm going to be dealing with um, (coughs) some uh, accusations, and I'm going to explain to you uh, why, and then I'm going to talk to you about what the Bible actually says. And uh, this is just, it's hilarious to me that people are so... They don't understand the Bible, and because they don't understand the Bible, they fall into all different kinds of theological error, and uh, this is going to help you today. And uh, because of my experience, um, you're going to benefit. You're going to benefit from my experience because uh, I'm not only going to explain why this is such a ridiculous thing to say, I'm going to give you the fuel from the Scripture to um, be able to explain properly uh, why we believe like we do, and that's going to help you. Um, in fact, we're commanded to be able to do that, right? First Peter 3.15, the Bible says that we have to be ready at all times to make a defense, right, for anyone who's asking about the hope that lies within us, the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I'm going to deal with this today. We're going to talk about... Uh, what happens when you get into this kind of mindset, and then I'm going to give you scripture. I'm going to give you a ton of scripture today, so I hope you have your notes. This will actually be one of those great broadcasts to replay, rewatch, relearn, because I'm going to give you plenty of fuel, plenty of scripture in context. That's always, that is always uh, the important thing to have, scripture in context, scripture in context. Ava said, I wish I had popcorn at work, just popping popcorn. She's throwing up the popcorn memes. Um, yeah, so today we're going to troll the trolls, uh, as I like to do. I actually, I believe I'm anointed to troll the trolls. I get People call me all the time. I have pastors that are like, bro, I wish I could just post some of the things you do. I, I really wish I could. I'm doing it for you. I'm, uh, you can live vicariously through my rants um, because I'm just going to say uh, what's in my spirit. In love. We're going to speak the truth in love, everybody. But it's going to be a good day. So uh, there's my friend Caleb. (laughs) I'm anointed to troll the trolls. And uh, that's what we're going to do today. With the word of God, with scripture. Very important to do it with scripture. I'm not mad at anybody. I don't hate anybody. I'm not that person. I actually love everybody. And I want to see people come to the truth. And I want to see Christians operate in the truth. So, um. You know, I, I believe that impartation's coming on you. Anointed to troll the trolls. Um, <laughs> and so, thanks for jumping on. Don't forget to share it this morning. A very important broadcast. And I do mean that. It's a very foundational and important broadcast. What I'm going to teach today is foundational and vital for every Christian. Every single Christian better know this, what I'm getting ready to teach today. Got it. You've got to know this. And so, uh, just to give you some uh, background, how did this happen and what happened? Well, um, as you guys have known, we've been dealing with some of these topics on the broadcast. For example, we've been talking about, uh, and I've done, I think, two or three broadcasts on this now, um, can Christians be demon-possessed? Of course, we've been talking about it from the Word. I took you through the New Testament. 
I took you through each passage uh, that those who believe this, that de- Christians can be demon-possessed, that they use to show that it's true. And we broke it down in context, showed you that it's nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere, nowhere. In fact, I started work now on a book. Uh, working title is The Deliverance Deception. And uh, we're talking about, um, you know, exposing the folly of uh, Christian demon possession and generational curses. Um, and that's just, that's just the working title, what I'm working with right now, but I'm in the research phase, uh, going through all this data and showing from the Word of God this new, it's like a new wave that things just move in cycles. I mean, literally, things go in the body of Christ in cycles. And um, this is not new. All these people, YouTube is new for this because YouTube didn't exist in the last cycle when everybody like Derek Prince was teaching uh, that Christians can be demon-possessed and all that. So things go in cycles, um, and so it's nothing new, but a new generation needs to understand the truth, and that's why I'm dealing with it. So working title, The Deliverance Deception, and uh, now they've got a movie coming out. People are teaming up, select theaters. Uh, it's something like come out in Jesus' name or something like that, showing like huge crowds of people that are like all supposedly Christians, you know, getting delivered of demons at the same time. And um, uh, is anybody else having issues with the volume being low on the broadcast or is it just Raymond Bixby? Let me know because we will turn it up if we need to. Um, but it's, it's insane. It's all over. It's all over YouTube. It's all over the body of Christ. These people... Uh, so anyway, I was in the midst of doing, um, so Raymond, you just got to turn that volume knob up. Um, so in the midst of doing these teachings and showing what the word of God actually says, um, someone said, well, and here's the accusation. And I laughed, uh, but, but I laughed because um, it is a thing that people say, which I thought was funny, um, yeah, someone said, Don, if we could turn it up a little bit, people would be happy if, if we could turn the volume up a little bit. Um, people say, so this, this would happen. I started teaching on uh, can Christians be demon-possessed, and there were several people that were just going in, Christians, preachers, that were just going in uh, on that. Don, did you hear that? Okay, just making sure. Um, these are Christians. These are preachers. These are those that are, you know, just really entrenched in this deliverance theology that really I believe is, is a false theology that Christians can be demon-possessed and have, need to have demons cast out of them. Listen, it's gotten so bad, as I've told you, that there's preachers asking other preachers, do you sense any demons in me? And if you do, could you please cast them out of me? It's like, dude, I've said this before. If uh, you're a preacher and you don't know if you have a demon in you, it, you might need to step out of the pulpit if you don't know that you have a demon in you. That's a problem. That is a massive problem. So um, I want to start by dealing with this. So the accusation, I'm teaching all these things, and uh, one of these deliverance preachers says to me, you know what your problem is? And, I, and of course, apparently I did not know what my problem was. I said, no, what's my problem? He said, your problem is that you worship the Bible, but I worship God. That, that, was, that, was his, that was his words to me. Your problem is that you worship the Bible, but I worship God, the God of the Bible. And, and so I was like, well, man, I've never heard anybody put it like that. Um, I'll have to pull it out a little bit because if it's hitting my cheek. Uh, it's like, um, okay, you worship the God of the Bible. Is that any better, Carolyn? 
you worship the God of the Bible, and apparently I worship the Bible. I worship the Bible. And so I had never really heard anybody put it like that before. And um, I said, what? He said, yeah, you worship the Bible. So I thought, wait, are there people, are there cults that are actually like setting a Bible like on a pedestal and like bowing down and like actually worshiping the actual Bible? I, I, I didn't know if that was the case. There may be, like in all honesty, there, there may be people, cults that are just like worshiping the actual book. Um, but I, uh, I started to just look at, look through this stuff and there is a term that people use called bibliolatry, bibliolatry. Of course, we know what bibliology is. That's the study of the Bible, but apparently bibliolatry is, uh, the worship of the Bible that some people are accusing other Christians. Well, when I dug into it, I figured out exactly what the problem was because, uh, this is a derogatory, a derogatory term that some Christians try to use on other Christians uh, that hold to the fact that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and preeminent. I want to use those three words again, okay, because this will help you, because I do believe this. I do believe this. So if this is what the man meant, that I hold that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and preeminent, then yes, you could say that about me, if that's all you mean. Uh, because I do believe that the Bible is inspired and inerrant and preeminent in our lives. And I'm going to show you that from Scripture. And he said, that's the problem with all of you sola scriptura guys. All of you sola scriptura guys. Um, now, let me, let me help you with something right off the bat, because this will help you. If you, don't, if you don't know what that means or if you've never heard that term before, you're like, what is sola scriptura? This was the battle cry, really, of those in the Protestant Reformation, right? If you go back to Martin Luther, those that were, and really Martin Luther, spearheaded the Protestant Reformation where Protestant Christians, that just means they were protesting what was going on in the Catholic Church. The Protestant Christians broke off from the Catholic Church and one of the main points uh, of disagreement was sola scriptura, that everything we believe needs to be defined by the written word of God. That was one of the main uh, points of disagreement in the Reformation, is that the Catholic Church believed, no, it's not just the Bible, not just the word of God, but it's also church tradition. And it's also obviously the word of the, the Pope who they believe speaks directly as the mouthpiece of God. Uh, the term in Latin, ex cathedra, believe, they, they believe that the Pope speaks from the mouth of God or he's the mouthpiece of God on the earth. So we don't just, if, if from the Catholic standpoint, we don't just depend on the scriptures. We also depend on church tradition and creeds. And we also depend on obviously the Pope or the word of the Pope uh, who speaks as the mouthpiece of God. Martin Luther said, no, uh, what we believe has to be defined by the scripture. It has to be defined uh, by the scripture. And uh, of course, uh, when they were excommunicating Martin Luther, this was his actual quote. Uh, they wanted him to recant um, <clears throat> he, or they were going to kill him and excommunicate him. He said, Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony 
of Scripture or by the clearest of reasoning, unless I'm persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted, and unless they thus render my conscience bound by the word of God, I cannot and will not retract, for it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other, may God help me, amen. That was his quote. I cannot recant, I will not go back on this, unless the scripture shows me, or I'm persuaded by the scriptures I've quoted, right? I will not recant my belief that as a Christian, the only thing that can govern our lives is the written word of God, the written word of God. Now I'm gonna get into some other things uh, regarding that because I know what the arguments are. So this is gonna help you today. But the first thing we'd have to uh, say also is I recognize that there are a group of Christians, denominational Christians, that, are, uh, that hold to that thought of sola scriptura. By the way, if you don't know what that means, it just means scripture alone. That's all it means. Sola meaning only or foundation or, or, or base, the base. Scripture alone. Sola scriptura, only scripture. Scripture alone. That's all it means is that nothing else defines our lives as Christians. Nothing else can give us instruction but the scripture alone. Now, there are a group of those people that will tell you, because they believe that, that the charismatic gifts that we see in the scripture, the nine gifts of the spirit, specifically those that are revelation gifts that God, or, or speaking gifts, that God no longer does those things, right? So they will argue that because we now have the full Bible, the closed canon, the 66 books of the Protestant scripture, because we have that now and the church has been established that the Holy Spirit is no longer speaking to people and giving them private revelation anymore because we have the Bible. I do not believe that. I do not believe that by any means. The Holy Spirit is still speaking today. He's still leading us. He's still guiding us into all truth. No question. He has not ceased in his ministry with the believer. The Holy Spirit is still speaking today. He still performs miracles. He still heals. He still uh, baptizes people in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We believe in all nine gifts of the Spirit. We believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. All of those things are still operating today. No question about that. But I will say this. Prophecy is not the same in the New Testament as it was in the Old Testament. I have to say this at the beginning or else people will say, well, you know, sola scriptura, that's heresy because it means we don't believe the Holy Spirit speaks. No, we still believe he speaks. But let me explain the difference. Um, in the Old Testament, when a prophet prophesied, entire nations were depending on the prophets for their direction to hear from God. Why were they depending on the prophets? Because nobody could be filled with the Holy Spirit. Nobody could. Their bodies were not ready to receive the Holy Spirit because they had not been regenerated by redemption. But now that we are saved and we are children of God, we are new creations in Christ Jesus, now every one of us has the Holy Spirit living within us. Paul encouraged the Corinthians by saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He dwells in you. He lives in you. 
What did he say to the Romans? The same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead dwells in you and is quickening your mortal bodies. So now, all of us that are Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in our bodies. Well, that Holy Spirit is the same spirit who spoke through the prophets. And that's the same Holy Spirit that is leading and guiding believers today. Today. And in fact, <clears throat> Paul said this to the Romans. He said, uh, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So the sons of God, that's us that are Christians, we're led by God's Spirit. Jesus told us in the Gospel of John that when the Holy Spirit comes, he would lead us and guide us into all truth. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So uh, I was talking about this with somebody recently, and that is this, that Though the word of God can give us parameters for life and holiness and godliness, it's not going to give us specific directions about our lives, right? So the Bible's not going to tell you which person to marry. The Bible's not going to tell you what your calling is or what career path you should take or if it's ministry or business. It's not going to tell you uh, what college to attend. It's not going to give you specific directions regarding where to live, right? Those are things that the voice of the Holy Spirit can do in your life. He can lead you and guide you specifically. But remember this now, because this is important to remember, that the Holy Spirit is never going to tell you to do something or lead you to do something that contradicts the word of God. That's how you judge it. That's how you judge anything that comes to you. Well, does it line up with God's word? There's people say, well, if you got to do that, then it's not God's word anyway, because if it was God's word, it would be made into scripture. No, that's not the case. That's not the case. In fact, if you go to 1 Corinthians 14, you know what you'll find out? Paul's giving instructions to the church about how they should engage in prophecy during a church service, right? And he said, some will prophesy, others will sit by and listen to what is said. And then they will judge what is said, right? To see if it's of God or not. But he didn't say, well, if it's of God, then write it down on parchment and make sure you publish it as scripture. He didn't say that. And that's not what they were doing at all. Because Paul understood that there is prophecy in the New Testament that is given for exhortation, for comfort, for edification. And those things are not meant to be written down as scripture, right? But then there are things that were given as scripture, so in the New Testament, we're not led by prophets, we're led by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is still speaking. But he will never guide you to do something that contradicts the written word of God, right? So I want to show you that. Well, the, que the question then be becomes, uh, does the Bible teach that it is the only thing that should guide our lives? Well, it strongly, strongly infers that. Let me give you a few passages that will really help you. Um, we know that the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, was preeminent in the New Testament, right? It was the thing that all the believers were guiding their lives by, the teaching of the apostles. And so we know they spoke from God. In fact, the teaching of the apostles is what was made into Scripture. And the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, that nobody, in fact, let's read that. Nobody ever uh, gave any kind of scripture or prophecy 
by their own uh, desire or choice. Nobody sat down and said, you know what? I think I'll, I'll, I'll write some scripture today. It didn't work like that. Let me read this to you. 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> and I'm going to give you something that's very controversial uh, here at the end of this. As we go, you need to hear this because you're going to get hit with this at some point with this growing nonsense in the body of Christ. And you better know how to answer it from scripture. You better know how to answer it. Listen to this now. Uh, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there it is. Nobody just decided to write scripture. Nobody just sat down and said, you know, I think I'll write part of the Bible today. Nobody did it by their own will or interpretation. They were guided along and carried along by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. That's how the scripture came to be. By the Holy Spirit. And so understand, <clears throat> the apostles were speaking by the Holy Spirit. Did you know, and I don't, this is such a, a big topic, that's why I'm doing a book on it. And I don't have time to show you everything, but even as it was being written, because you know there's people that'll say, well, you know, uh, the Bible wasn't even really settled upon until, you know, 200 to 250 years after uh, you know, the, the early church. And, but, but that's deceptive because they knew, and, and the Bible shows it, they knew, they knew that scripture was being given to them as they were giving it. They knew. And did you know that the Bible shows us that even the apostle Peter recognized that what Paul was saying and what Paul was writing was the word of God. And he groups it in. He groups it in with the other scriptures, which I find to be very interesting. Um, because Peter says um, that Paul explains it, and I love this, he uses the phrase, as with the other scriptures. Let me give you that actual reference. Look at this. Second Peter Chapter 3, let me, let me uh, read this to you. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14 through 16, listen to this. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of those matters. There are some things in them, his letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with the other scriptures. You see that? Peter just referred to Paul's letter as scriptures. His letters are scriptures. So that shows you that uh, even then when the, Bible was being written, when these things were being uh, inspired, the writers being inspired, other apostles recognized this is scripture. What Paul's writing to the churches, that's scripture. He says it in his own writings. He says it in his own writings. So to make that 
um, deceptive argument. Well, the Bible didn't even exist really until 250 years later, you know, when, when they decided what, no, nobody decided what the books were. They, they could only recognize this is from God. They didn't decide that's from God, that's not. They could only recognize what was already there, right? So understand something. They already had scripture going and the apostles were teaching and people were receiving it as God's word. Well, you say, well, you, you judge all that against the Bible? Absolutely you judge all that against the Bible. Go to Acts chapter 17. This is exactly what the Bereans did, if you didn't know that. The Berean Christians, Christians in Berea, Look, I'll read it to you, two verses. Acts chapter 17, you can put it in the comments, those of you that are watching. Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Acts 17, verses 10 and 11. Uh, this is Paul and Silas in Berea. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now listen to this part. This is so vital that you get this. And they received the word with all eagerness. How did they receive it? The apostles were teaching and preaching it to them. Paul and Silas. Look what this is. And Paul and Silas showed up, went to the Jewish synagogue, and the, the Bereans received the word of God with all eagerness. But listen to me. Did they just take it at face value? Keep reading. No. And they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You see that? So they had apostles in their midst. They literally had Paul and Silas standing in their synagogue, teaching and preaching to them. And rather than just say, yeah, you know what? They're, they're apostles. What they're saying must be true. No, they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things, what things? The things Paul and Silas were teaching them in the synagogue. Let's see if that's really true. Let's do what? Compare it to Scripture. You see? Let's compare it to Scripture. That'll show you right off the bat that although they recognized them as apostles and eagerly received the word from them as apostles, they said, we're also going to do what's necessary. We're going to compare your teaching to what the Scripture already says. Powerful. Absolutely powerful. And that's what we do today. That's what I was doing, and I'll continue to do, uh, with this false doctrine that's being preached. You have to compare everything to what the Bible actually says. Again, the accusation. Your problem, Evangelist Ted, is that you worship the Bible, and I worship the God of the Bible. What a foolish thing to say. What an absolutely foolish accusation to make. To accuse somebody who believes the Bible is inerrant, inspired, and preeminent of worshiping the Bible. That's, a, you know, bibliolatry, if you want me to use that term. Foolishness. Because the Bible is the word of God. And I'm going to deal with that in a minute, but let's keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, the Bereans, they checked the apostles' teaching against God's word. All right. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's look at verse 6. Even the apostles warned the Christians to not do what? To uh, don't go beyond what is written. That's what he encouraged the Corinthians. Don't go beyond what is written. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, 
brothers, that you may learn by us, learn how, how we live, to not go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Don't go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what is written. And there's even some things that, you know, even in my ministry early on, because you continue to learn, you continue to grow. So I'm not, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not giving people a hard time that are trying to learn and trying to grow. I'm talking to people that are already leaders in the body of Christ, or some of them claim they are, that are teaching things fully that the Bible does not teach. And rather than being open to say, you know what, here's what the Bible actually says, and giving a response, a proper response, some of them are just saying, you don't understand. This was an accusa another accusation at me. You just don't understand the things of the Spirit. You just don't understand spiritual warfare. That's your problem. Okay, so now I've got two problems, that I worship the Bible, and my second problem now is that I don't understand spiritual warfare. When nobody has been able to show one case in the New Testament of a Christian being demon-possessed or demonized. So uh, we're looking at that and we're comparing everything that we teach and that we do and demonstrate with what the Bible says. What did the apostles say? Don't go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond what is written. Amen. And so it's, it's dangerous to start forming doctrines that are not taught in the scripture. I was just talking to another preacher about this recently. He and I were talking through a theological thing and we both agreed that's not something that I would ever uh, preach from the platform because I can't find it specifically taught in the scripture, though others may teach it. And though the principle may be there in, in picture, it's not something that Jesus or the apostles specifically taught to the church. So I wouldn't touch it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it. So let me go on further. This man accused me and he said, uh, not only do you worship the Bible, he said, you don't understand that we don't only use the Bible to determine what's right. Oh, okay. So now explain to me, brother, what do we use to determine what is right? He was going to explain it to me. And he said, here's what we use to determine what is right. He said, we use the Bible. Yes, that's one thing we use. He said, but we also use church tradition. We also use church tradition. He said, we also use the creeds. We've got to use the creeds. And so there's, there's multiple creeds, obviously, as you go throughout history. You know, we have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. There's, there's others. <clears throat> the Westminster Confession. Uh, and all, We have multiple creeds we can look at throughout his, church history. But he said, we use the creeds. We use, the church, we use church tradition. And we use, the, you know, going back to see everything that the church understood and how they explained and how they carried out. And we use the Bible. I said, all right, now listen, I've got no issue looking back to the church fathers. I've got no issue looking at church tradition. I've got no issue looking at the creeds. But keep something in mind. The church tradition has to be compared to what the Bible says. The creeds have to be based upon what the Bible says, right? You can't make a creed like the Apostles' Creed Nicene Creed, the Westminster Confession. You can't make a creed that's not based on the scripture. Nobody with a brain throughout church history thought like that. We're just going to make up a creed, you know. It's like, no, you don't just make up creeds. They are based upon scripture. Church tradition should be based upon scripture. 
Otherwise, here's the danger. Now, this is a huge danger. And I want you to get this because one of the things we battle today is something called, and also Assassin's Creed. I forgot about that. My cousin Preston. Assassin's Creed, one, two, three, four. Not just the Nicene Creed, not just the Apostles' Creed, but Assassin's Creed, um, which is available for Xbox or PlayStation. So um, I want to say this because people don't understand how dangerous this is. Postmodernism. Postmodernism is the thought that everyone has their own individual truth. So, so the argument is truth is subjective rather than objective. Watch the danger of this now. Watch the danger of postmodernism as it's creeping into the church. Truth is subjective rather than objective. You know what that means? Truth is fluid. Truth is fluid. You have to step into postmodernist thought in order to do what some of these denominations are doing, like starting to ordain homosexuals, not just homosexuals, but starting to ordain anyone who's practicing in the LGBTQIA plus community and saying, you know what? Um, we've gotten it wrong for all these years. The Bible's been wrong for all these years that we, we you know, we can't, we can't reject these people from being clergy. I mean, that's what they're doing and they're teaching and they're actually demonstrating. And so what does that mean? They're making truth subjective. Well, we can't take Leviticus. You know, we can't take Romans 1. Those were different cultures. Those were different cultures than 2023 America. Yeah, but God wasn't writing or basing the scripture on culture. It's universal truth. It's universal truth. And that's the, they'll say that, Mike. My truth is not your truth, brother, and your truth is not my truth. No, there's an objective truth. The word of God is objective truth. It is the standard by which we must live. If not, then we have no theology at all. There can be no Christianity without objective truth. There's no way to do it. Because that means now everyone can define their own way of living and their own way of truth. And there's, no, there's nothing that we can do to actually see what God desires of us. Right? God sets the bar. We don't set the bar. Put that in the comments. God sets the bar, we don't set the bar. God sets the bar, we don't set the bar. It's objective truth. I don't think that that preacher would disagree with that. I hope that we don't have subjective truth in the Bible and in the body of Christ. So let me keep going because he said, well, we need to use tradition. Well, Jesus, if you don't know this, Jesus actually rebuked um, uh, the religious leaders for putting tradition beyond the scriptures or the commandments of God. He rebukes them for that specific thing. Look at Mark chapter seven, because the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. <clears throat> so he's not afraid to deal out a strong rebuke to the Pharisees. Listen to this. Um, Mark chapter seven, verses six through nine. If you need that reference, put it in the comments. Mark chapter seven, Verses six through nine. Listen to me. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, watch, the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. Now listen to, to verse eight. You leave the commandment of God 
and hold to the tradition of men. It's amazing. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. Look at verse nine. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So he's talking about people who hold tradition even, even these are the people of God over thousands of years, right? The Jews are people of God over thousands of years. He said, what you've done is you've lifted up your man-made traditions over the word of God, over the word of God, and I'm rebuking you for it. He said, you honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from him, far from him. And so it's dangerous. You can't hold traditions of men over the word of God. Because it makes the word of God lesser than the traditions of men. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. That's a dangerous way to live. And so it seems as though if you go through all these passages, that um, the word of God is preeminent. The Bereans compared the apostles' teaching to what? The word of God. Paul the apostle told the church, don't go beyond what is written. Even Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for what? Elevating the traditions of men over the commandments of God. It's foolishness. So now let me read to you 2 Timothy chapter 2, and this is really what should define our lives. And then I'm going to give you uh, something that's going to help you. I know it's controversial, but it's going to help you. 2 uh, Timothy, let me go back to it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and the Bible says this in verse, um, let's go to verse 15. Paul's giving this command to Timothy as a younger minister. Listen to this. Do your best, 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. That is, I'm looking at the footnote here in the Greek, that is one approved after being tested. Approved after being tested. Well, doing what? A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Because he's rightly handling the word of truth. Oh, that's such a powerful verse. Understand something. Paul's saying that if you want to be approved by God as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, then you better rightly handle, properly handle the word of truth. If you can't rightly divide God's word, then guess what? According to the apostle, you should be ashamed. That's what the apostle's saying. If you're a minister and you can't properly handle the word of God, you should be ashamed. But if you properly handle God's word, you'll, you'll be tested by God and you can present yourself to God and have no reason to be ashamed if you can properly divide or interpret the word of God. And that's why I keep trying to bring these guys back to the word. Where? Please show me. Do you know... And all, all of my begging and pleading and broadcasting, and I've asked them, please, just show me one passage, just one in the New Testament. Just show me one where a Christian has a demon cast out of them by an apostle or another Christian or is even delivered from demonization. They always like to use the, they always like to use the, uh, the argument, well, you know, demon-possessed is not in the original Greek language. It's the word daimonizomai, which means demonized. Okay, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. Show me a place where a Christian was demonized and had demons cast out of them or off of them. 
And the only two uh, that anybody's ever mentioned that I've seen, I covered them in depth, Ananias and Simon the sorcerer. By the way, in neither of those Greek passages is the word daimonizomai used, demonized. It's not in there. Neither is daimon for demon or anything like that. It's not in the Greek anywhere. And we showed you that in the broadcast. I keep pulling them back, pulling them back. Show me in the Bible. Show me in the scripture. Because if not, so here's the, here's the thing. <clears throat> if you can't show me the, the apostles doing it after redemption, if you can't show me the early church doing it, you know what you're doing now? You're, go, you're doing what Paul said not to do. You're going beyond what was written. You're going beyond what was written and you are slapping, essentially, redemption in the face and saying that the Holy Spirit who lives in the believer is not powerful enough to keep the believer from possession. What you believe, and I'm not saying you that are watching, but those that believe this, they believe a demon can then come in and can eject or evict the Holy Spirit from a believer and take possession and control of that believer. <laughs> and, then I, and then I heard this. I heard this said. Um, you know, this is another way to say it. Well, a Christian uh, can't, how do they say it? A demon can't have a Christian, but a Christian can have a demon. I was like, what the heck does that even mean? A demon can't have a Christian, but a Christian can have a demon. I, you know, now I, I agree the devil attacks Christians. We, we deal with people all the time. I believe in deliverance. I believe in casting out devils. I've done it many times. I believe in people being uh, helped, but I've never seen a Christian have a demon cast out of them in the scripture. And if it's not in the scripture, I don't practice it. I don't practice it. And so let me go further then. So what, do, what does the Bible say? So this is funny because I had to look it up. I'd never heard anybody be accused of worshiping the Bible, which is what I'm accused of. You worship the Bible and you don't understand spiritual warfare. Okay, well, please teach me how to further understand. Apparently, they understand spiritual warfare better than the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, better than the Apostle John, supposedly. I mean, apparently, because... You know, you start making up some of these things. Well, what you don't understand, this was actually said to me. What you don't understand is things like second heaven warfare, and you don't understand things like the Babylonian soul trade. It's like, what in the heck are you talking about? The Babylonian soul trade? Where is that in the scripture? Where is that in the scripture? It's like these guys need another thing for their YouTube channel to be more and more on edge. So now there's like six of them getting on together and, and talking about Christians being demon-possessed and casting demons out of Christians because they need more subscribers, they need more followers, they need to get their stuff more viral. And, and, and praise God if the gospel gets out, but let me tell you something. In order to use false doctrine just to get more views is ridiculous, absolutely foolish. And so you have this going on, and meanwhile, it's not in the scripture, going beyond what is written. It, 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 it's mind-blowing. The Babylonian soul trade, people have to take a little word out of the Hebrew language and then go into the, the literature of rabbis that aren't even Christians. Say, well, let me tell you about the spirit of Lilith. Let me tell you what she does. You know, Lilith, well, you know, she'll come right into your room. You better beware because Lilith is, and then everybody that's married to a woman named Lilith or Lily is like, oh my God, what in the world did I do? What in the world did I do? I mean, no, no lie. They got to go off on this stuff. Go off on the, do you know there's only one time in the Bible 
that Jesus ever even asked a demon what its name was? Mark chapter 5. And do you know that Jesus didn't even do anything with that information? There's people that have built whole doctrines around that. You have to identify the name of the demon that's harassing you first. And if you don't identify the name of it, you're, you're missing out because he's in your bloodline. You got to go back years when he first entered into your life. You got to cut him out of your bloodline. It's like, dude, Jesus only did it once. The apostles never did it. The apostles cast out many demons, never asked any of them what their name was. Did you ever notice that? Jesus got the name of the legion for we are many. What did Jesus do with that information? Did you say, that's it. Now that I've identified you, legion, I know how to cast you out. Jesus didn't do anything with the name. He didn't do anything with the name. He asked and never referenced it again. Just cast the, cast the demons out into a herd of pigs. That's it. That's it. Paul never asked demons their names. Peter never asked demons their names. Philip never asked demons their names. John never asked demons their names. Just cast them out. And they had to go. Did you ever notice there were no seven-hour deliverance sessions in the Bible? I'm going to get you in a room. we got plenty of paper bags in case you throw that demon up and vomit it out. And we're just going to get you in there with our team. And we're going to take a seven, eight-hour time. Just going to just take the devils out of you one by one, like a surgical procedure. It's like, dude, in the Bible, they just cast them out. And out they came. I've cast demons out. It's never taken me seven hours to cast a demon out of a person. You cast it out. I watched a Nigerian preacher casting demons out of people. They'd start manifesting while he was preaching. He literally would just walk over to that side of the sanctuary and go, bye-bye, bye-bye. <laughs> and they'd have to leave. The person would get delivered. Come to the other side. They'd manifest, bye-bye. They're gone. And he said at the end of the service, he said, did you ever notice that uh, when I was casting those demons out of those people tonight, he said, did you know, ever notice that I didn't stay there and, and scream and yell and point? He said, do you know I didn't have to scream and yell to cast those demons out? And he was proving, he was showing them something. He said, the reason is because I'd already done my screaming and yelling in prayer before I came here. Hallelujah. Already carried the authority of the spirit. Just like Jesus said, some do not come out except by prayer. Mark 9, 29, some, this kind of demon does not come out except by prayer. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly what I'm talking about. There's an authority that you carry over the devil. Well, you know, what does the Bible teach about itself? Well, I just showed you 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me give you 2 Timothy 3. And, and let me just read this. Because you worship the Bible. You're into bibliolatry. You don't understand spiritual warfare and you worship your Bible. Well, let me tell you what I do believe about this Bible. Let me tell you what I do believe about, about this wonderful word of the almighty God. I do hold the Bible as preeminent. And let me tell you why. Because God does. Because God does. I'll read you that in a minute. But let me read you 2 Timothy chapter 3 and I'll read you verses 16 and 17. These should be marked up in your Bible. If you don't have these highlighted and underlined and marked up, I'm talking about marked up in your Bible, get them marked up now while we're reading it. Highlight it, underline it, get it in your spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, all scripture, not just the red letters. I'm so tired of seeing churches do. We're gonna do a series just on the red letters. What did Jesus say? 
hey, let me give you a, a revelation you may not have. Jesus is the word of God. So everything from Genesis to Revelation is what Jesus said. People, don't, how do you not get that? Jesus is the word made flesh that dwelt among us. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, John 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus is the word. So we're just, you know, I don't, I don't live by the whole Bible. I just live by the red letters, okay? That shows me that you don't understand who Jesus is because Jesus is the word of God. Liz said, yeah, she heard me say that when I was preaching. I believe the Bible from Genesis to maps. <laughs> I even believe the maps are true. I even believe the cover that says Holy Bible. I believe the whole thing. You don't understand who Jesus is. He is the word. And then the word was made flesh. He's eternal. Everything in this book was inspired. I'm going to get ready to read you that in a minute. By God. By God. And so none of the Bible can be just left out. We don't need to read the Old Testament. We're not Church of Christ. We believe the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me read it to you. All Scripture, not the red letters, not the New Testament, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. And for what? Training in righteousness. Now look at this. Why? Now here is the thing that should open your eyes. Verse 17. This should open your eyes. The reason is because the man, so that the man of God may be what? Complete. Complete. What do we have the written word of God for? So that the man, including the women of God, can be complete. It means you don't need anything else for training in righteousness. Equipped for every good work. Every good work. Every good work. So that means that uh, the man of God can be complete. You know what that means? You don't have to, and this is going to shake some people up, but I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I already said earlier in this broadcast, the Holy Spirit still speaks today. He still leads and guides people today. He still does miracles today, signs and wonders today. I am not a cessationist in any way, shape, or form. I'm a full-out Pentecostal charismatic continuationist. I believe that with all my heart. The Holy Spirit, Spirit still speaks today, but let me give you something that'll help you. The Holy Spirit does not have to lead you in order for you to have full training in righteousness. Let me break down what I mean by that. I don't mean that the Holy Spirit won't give you um, understanding of his word. I totally believe that he will do that. The eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, that you may know the uh, hope of his calling and his inheritance in the saints. I believe all that. I believe the Holy Spirit gives you understanding of the word as you read it. But what I'm telling you is the Holy Spirit does not need to speak something different to you as an individual believer in order for you to be um, fully trained for righteousness, be complete and equipped for every good work. That's not what Paul taught ever. The word of God is given for that purpose. The written word of God is given for that purpose. 
Again, this is not me speaking against what the Holy Spirit does in the believer. This is me saying, God said, I've given you my word so that you may be, uh, number one, taught, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness so that you can be complete and equipped for every good work. That is what I'm telling you. And so that puts the Bible at a preeminent position, right? That puts the Bible at a preeminent position, high, high above everything else, everything else. That's why even if a Christian says, well, God told me this, you still compare it to the Bible. Well, I, I was praying and the Holy Spirit said this to me, compare it to the Bible. I don't care if you said the Holy Spirit spoke to you, if it doesn't agree with the written word of God, I don't care. I throw it out and say, no, that wasn't God. That wasn't the Holy Spirit because God will not contradict his written revealed word. He won't do it. Well, no, the Lord, actually the Lord showed me, the Lord actually showed me that Christians have demons. Okay, then why is it not in the Bible? Why is it not in the Bible? Well, the Lord showed me that many Christians have demons in their bloodline. Okay, how come no apostle ever addressed that? How come Jesus never addressed that? Why did the early church never address that? How come we have nothing in scripture to show us how to deal with that? That, that sounds to me like a big problem. I mean, if you've got a demon in your bloodline that's harassing you internally and that, that needs to be cast out of your spirit or cast out of you, that sounds like a big, big problem. And I think that God loves his children enough that if he knew that was happening to his children, he'd have given us a way in the scripture to show us. He didn't have any apostle deal with that in the churches. They didn't have deliverance services where they brought Christians in and said, now here's a man in Corinth that's got a spirit of lust. He's, he's sleeping with his stepmother. That, that was happening, by the way, if you read 1 Corinthians. Here, here's, a, here's a man in the church who's filled with a spirit of lust. He's sleeping with his stepmother, and he, it's evil what he's doing. Bring him here. I'm coming to the church. we we'll get them all together. We're going to have a deliverance service. I'm going to cast the spirit of lust out of him. He didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that, did he? What did he do instead? He told him, correct that man and tell him to stop doing that. Warn him and then warn him again. And, and, and eventually he wouldn't listen to the, the warnings. He said, all right, then throw him out of the church. Do what? Throw him out of the church. Did he cast a demon out of him? No. He said, throw him out of the church. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his soul. What? Well, hold on. I thought we were supposed to cast out demons. Yeah, apparently the man didn't have a demon. He's just not controlling his fleshly desires of lust. So what? Did Paul cast the demon out of him or instruct the elders to cast the demon out? No. He said, warn him to get his act together, start using self-control and live holy. And if he won't listen to you, cast him out. Throw him out of the church. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so it needs to be said. Um, by the way, Titus chapter 1. And I want you to look at this. I'll give you just a couple more and then I'll pray for you. Titus chapter 1, let me read you uh, verse 2. Titus 1 and verse 2. The Bible says, In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word, or the Greek manifested his word, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. You see that? 
God who never lies, God who never lies, who manifested in his word. And God has chosen the, what's the preaching supposed to be based on? His word. It's like you hold, it's like you hold the Bible in pretty high regard. You worship the Bible. Okay, well, let me, let me show you what the Bible says in Psalm 138. Because I didn't do this. God, God said his word. God said his word high above all things. God did. Psalm 138. Hmm. Psalm of David. And what did David say in the second verse of Psalm 138? I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Look at this. For you, speaking of God, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Your name and your word. Listen to this, the footnote here, and this is how some other translations translate the Hebrew. It's in the footnote of my ESV. It says, or you have exalted your word above all your name. So whether you, it's not like we're trying to diminish the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh. We're not trying to diminish the name of God. But notice what the psalmist wrote by by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God, you have exalted your word and your name. Or you've exalted your word above your name. Hallelujah. His name backs up the power of his word. So it's not men that have exalted God's word to a high place. Say, man, you've, you've lifted the Bible up too high. You're worshiping it. You're putting the Bible on a pedestal and worshiping the Bible. No, no. God himself, according to David, who was a prophet, priest, and a king, God himself exalted his word and his name. God did that. I'm not putting the Bible where God didn't put it. God put it there. I'm just reflecting and recognizing the fact God has exalted his word. His word is highly exalted above all things. Hallelujah. His word. You know why? Because you can't separate his word from him because he is his word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. John 1.1. God is his word. God is his word. We're not doing a wrong thing to exalt God's word to a preeminent place. God's word is already preeminent. I'm not lifting it up. (laughs) That's what people need to get. Christians, we're not lifting the Bible up into a place that it doesn't belong. God took it. He lifted it up and exalted it above his name. God did that. I am just recognizing what the most high God, the only living God, has already done. He did that. He did that. Amen. To to say, man, you really hold the Bible high. Why wouldn't we? If we understand what the Bible teaches about itself, that no man wrote this, it was given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, breathed out of the mouth of God. That's the 2 Peter 1 and the 2 Timothy 3 passages I read you. Those show you no word in this Bible was put down on paper by just a man deciding what to write. Every single word was inspired. And I, and I, I say this because it's important to know it. Uh, the writers were inspired, but the word was expired out of God's mouth. That's what the actual Greek word means. 
in 2 Timothy 3, theonostos. It actually means it was breathed out of God's mouth. He exhaled it. He expired it and the writers were inspired. That's what happened. He expired it. He exhaled it and they were inspired. It went out of him into them. That's how the Bible came to be. It went out of his mouth and into their spirits and they wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's exactly how we got the word of God. And to say that we've exalted the Bible to too high of a place shows me that either people don't believe the Bible's inspired by God and inerrant, or they think the Bible's just simply not as important as their experiences. And it seems to me, it seems, and this is all, you need this. We all need this in our spirit. This is foundational to the Christian life, where we hold the Bible, how we understand the Bible to be. This is not some other book like some other religion has. This is not the Quran. This is not some other quote unquote holy book. Those words are, this is not the Book of Mormon. Those words are man-made. They are fallible. They will disintegrate into nothing. But Jesus said, my word, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When everything else is gone, the word will still be here. Hallelujah. When everything else is dissolved, when everything else has been destroyed, his word will still be here. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, Jesus went down. If you're part of Bible study made simple, you know what, I, what I've taught about this in our courses is that Jesus doesn't just take it down to saying, well, the thoughts are inspired. Jesus goes all the way, not to even say that every word's inspired, if you ever heard the passage, if you grew up with the King James, you've probably heard the, the passage that Jesus said, not one jot or one tittle will pass away, right? Not one jot, not one tittle. He's actually speaking of actual markings of, of Hebrew lettering. Not, not, just, uh, not just the words are inspired. He said every marking that makes up a letter is inspired by God. He's talking about an iota in Greek, a little mark in Hebrew lettering. He said those, even those, every little mark is inspired by God. So Jesus doesn't just say, Jesus doesn't just say, you know, the, the thoughts of the apostles were inspired. No, no, not the thoughts, the very words. That's why we believe that when we study the Bible, we should get as word for word as we can to the original manuscripts that we have, the, the, the copied manuscripts from the autographs, we get as close as we can because we don't just believe the thoughts are inspired, we believe every word, that's what the Bible says, every word is inspired by God. Amen. And that's why we have to come back to this because there's a lot of weirdness that's been going on. And if you're not careful, that's what happens, is that you depart from the word of God, you depart from the actual scriptural teachings of Jesus and the apostles, and you get into weird stuff because you go beyond what was written. You get into all this nutty stuff that's going on, and it's like, show, please somebody show me that in the Bible. You know, one of the least favorite things I hear someone say, it's like, my God, we really had church last week, pastor didn't even get a chance to preach. Then you didn't have church. You didn't have church because the word of God, now this is going to sound weird to some of you, but let me just say it. I'm going to say it flat out because it's, I believe it with all my heart. Worship's important. Praise is important. All those things are vital. 
all those things, fellowship's important. And, you know, all the things that the early church did, it's all important. But nothing takes the place of God's word being preached and taught. My God, we really had church last week. I mean, we just started shouting, Pastor never even got to preach. Okay, there may be days where that does take place. But let me tell you something. There's nothing more important. Don't say we really had church. We really had church. No, no, no. This is what we come for. Yes, we come to worship. Yes, we come to praise. Yes, we come to be built up. Yes, we come for fellowship. But we need the word. And the thing that you see is in the last days is a famine of the word of God. A famine. People that are more interested in experiences than they are in what the Bible actually says. That's where these crazy theological ideas come from. Well, brother, you know, one of the biggest things we see said back to us, we teach things like Christians can't be demon-possessed. Brother, I've seen it many times. What are you, the Holy Spirit? I don't care what you think you've seen. I don't care what you think you've seen. We had a lady in our church, and I, I'll tell you what, I, she, she had 14 demons come out of her, and I'll tell you she was the most faithful Christian. I don't care what you think you've seen. It's not in the Bible. I don't believe it. I don't base my theology on experiences. I base it on the Word of God. Amen. Be the victory tribe. I'm showing you this, defining who we are. The victory tribe is not moved by experience, and we don't base our theology on experience. We base it on the written word of the Almighty God. If it's not in the Bible, I don't care. I don't care. I don't need you to wave three flags at me and do a spinny dance in spandex to, you know, to undo things in the spirit realm. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Well, let me tell you, we get our prophetic dance team out here, and I don't care what's been harassing people. When we get this prophetic dance team on the stage, when they start doing their thing, I'll tell you what, there's strongholds are going to be broken. Really? That's all it takes. I wish the apostles would have known to incorporate prophetic dance teams into the worship services so that they could break chains and people could be free through prophetic dance ministry. And there's nothing wrong with dance ministry, but don't tell me that it's the prophetic dance ministry that's breaking chains off of the young people, because it's not. It's not in the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God that breaks chains. It's the preaching of the Word, right? You'll know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Or it's the impartation of ministry through the laying on of hands or the spoken Word. Do what Jesus did. Do what the apostles did. Stop making up things that aren't in the Bible. Amen. My dad was in a church one time and they brought out poles and the poles were all connected to a big like sheet over the top. And uh, it was like a, a, they were like carrying a tent around the sanctuary and they brought it to the altar and people got underneath it and started dancing and started like, uh, you know, getting together and dancing and all that. And my, my, my uh, dad looked at the pastor. He said, yeah, this is our, our, uh, our wedding dance. This is supernatural wedding dance. And he said, Brother Ted, would you like to dance? My dad said, no, thank you. I'm already married. (laughs) It's like, where where is that? Where is this prophetic wedding dance in the Bible? Why are we doing things in our worship services that are so foolish and they're not based on God's word? People are like, Brother, I don't understand why we can't get people to come to the church. We never have any visitors. Pick me. I can tell you why. I can tell you why no one's coming. I can tell you why people leave and never come back. Please pick me to let me answer this question. I can help you. I can help you. Nobody wants to come to your church and do a wedding dance with other people they don't know under a sheet that you have on poles. It's weird. It's weird. 
If you've got a lady in a, stand, a stained spandex outfit that just hits the visitor three times with a flag, no wonder they're not coming back. Just wafting her B.O. around the auditorium. It's like, use deodorant. Take a shower and brush your teeth with your prophetic dance ministry. I'm just, I'm just throwing out ideas as to what it might be. Just ideas. I mean, I'm just trying, Don, I'm just trying to help people. That's all I'm doing here today. All, I'm assisting you in your Christian walk. That's, that's all I'm trying to do. But if, if the accusation against me is that I hold the Bible in too high of a regard, I accept it. I accept it because I'm not placing it there. God placed it there. I recognize it as the only thing that's inspired in this universe. It is the powerful, unmatched, mighty, chain-breaking, miracle-working power of the Almighty God in written form. That's what it is. It's what the Bible says it is, and I believe it. I believe it. God who does not lie manifested in his word through preaching. And more people need to hold the Bible in high regard and base what they're doing on what the Scripture says rather than what they saw in a YouTube video. And I know that's ironic because this is a YouTube video, but at the same time, I'm telling you what the Bible says. I love you. Father, I pray for every one of the, those that are watching, listening. I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a greater love for your written word than we've ever had. I pray that you convict our hearts to not go beyond what was written like the apostles said. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us a hunger to dive deeper and to read and ingest your word at an ex expedited rate. Let us have the eyes of our understanding enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Give us understanding of things we never previously understood in your word. Let us always be responsible to compare scripture with scripture. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that as we do it, we would be workers that do not need to be ashamed that can rightly divide the word of truth in Jesus' mighty name. And as we walk by your word and obey your word, we thank you that the blessings are coming. Your word declares that our obedience to your word causes the revelations of Christ to be made manifest in our lives. And so we expect to have the manifestations of Jesus at work in our families, our lives, ministries, and businesses in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, shout aloud, amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.